Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there, when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hey, Cinephile fans. Well, this is John Roca joined on this special preview with my co-host, Steve Morris. Steve, hey, how are you? I'm doing very well. You know, we've only done a couple of previews, which was both you and I doing it together. And I think this is a perfect opportunity. Absolutely. Because this Sunday at 5 p.m. PT, not on Friday. We're pushing this one to Sunday because that's on me. I've got some scheduling issues. But this Sunday, at 5 p.m. PT, we are going to be going live with the Cinephiles Live. You know, we're doing these once a month. And this week, we're talking about one of my favorite films ever and a film that is a burr in the saddle of Steve Morris. Transformers, <laughs> the first Transformers, not the animated one, the first in the Michael Bay series. We're going to talk about that and hear from all of you about it. Steve, how excited are you? Tell the truth. I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm excited, and I'll tell you why. Because I think we're going to have a great conversation. Yeah. You know, we spent so much time being positive on the cinephiles, talking about great films. I would say you and I are largely... 85, 90% in agreement on most of the films we talk about. Yes. yes, every once in a while we disagree a bit. This one is not going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny, like, I, I, you know, it'd be really interesting is uh, for someone, if they had like a top 10 show or something like that, the top <laughs> 10 worst movies ever covered by the cinephiles would be Ooh. an interesting discussion. 
I, I think five years, you probably can't get past three, to be honest with you, because we've covered such great movies. But maybe, you know, everything is subjective taste. Some people don't like Citizen Kane. Some people don't like The Godfather. Some people don't like uh, other great films that we have covered for sure. But this one is certainly one that can divide the fandom. Uh, and I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you. Because it's been a while since I've spoken about this one and to hear what the fans have to say. And I'm sure I'm putting myself up on a target to get slings and arrows sh- shot at me. But whatever. I do love the movie. My guess is we're going to have passionate opinions on both sides and that that's the most exciting thing about doing these cinephiles live is that we get to hear all of your comments. You get to share this experience with us. So we can't wait till we said Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific time on our YouTube channel to talk about Transformers. Yeah. What's our short this week, Steve? Do we have a short that we've got in the can? We don't have a short, John. That's why you and I are here. We're going to record that next. But I'll tell you what it is. What it's going to be is, you know, we just had our episode on being there. And as frequently happens when I was editing the episode, I have some more thoughts. So this week's short is being there again. Awesome. And also, if you guys, if you haven't purchased the Transformers film, you can do so at our website. I think it's www.cine-files.net. Is that correct, Steve? That is the site. That's the site. Go there, purchase it, enjoy the Michael Bay goodness, and then come and join us at 5 p.m. PT as we go live to talk about Transformers and the overall franchise, including the animated show, the animated movie, and the movies afterwards. I'm sure all of that will come up uh, uh, when we have this conversation, so we can't wait to have a little fun with you all Sunday, 5 p.m. PT on the Cinephiles Live. everyone and welcome to our latest episode of cinephiles live here on the cinephiles youtube channel i am one of your co-hosts i am the outlaw john roca i'm a writer producer and host here in los angeles and i'm joined by that gentleman right there the man with the plan steve morris how are you how are things i'm good but this is cinephiles live i don't have a plan there's no, <laughs> there's no planning i just put my myself in the hands of the outlaw and just wait to see what happens and on this one it's going to be an interesting conversation i'll tell you that much (laughs) that's for sure and we appreciate all you all joining us live uh, tonight have a little fun with us here on a sunday night or sunday morning sunday evening whenever or sunday morning when or sunday afternoon rather whenever you're you're uh, hanging out with us we appreciate it madly uh you know it's so much fun to get a chance to do this as a new way to kind of expand the brand so to speak of uh, the cinephiles and of course this will be available as an audio podcast as well so all of you who really like it in podcast format you don't miss out on the uh, on having a show uh, for you when we do these cinephiles lives and today we are jumping into <laughs> the first transformers film now you might ask yourself maybe you're new maybe you're a fan of cinephiles and it's your first time catching cinephiles live we kind of came up with this idea, Steve and I did, because we wanted to kind of talk about movies that our fans, or maybe us personally, wanted to talk about, but that we felt didn't quite qualify for a cinephile's treatment. And certainly this film, no matter how much I love it in this entire series, 
I have to, uh, you know, like uh, <laughs> kind of agree that it doesn't qualify necessarily to be talked about on the Cinevals as a proper episode, but we will be talking about it tonight, and that's 2007's Transformers, not the animated film from the 80s. This first live-action Transformers film from 2007, and we appreciate all of you all joining us live we'll be reading your comments thoughts the stream labs are open uh, uh there for you guys to leave your thoughts and comments super chats send them in as we talk about it and we're also going to talk about the entire franchise as a whole as well and see where we're going now post bumble me with this thing uh, as we move forward because so many different transformers films and projects have been announced steve over the last few months so let's let's bring it all the way back though for you steve talk to me what is your experience with the Transformers overall as a franchise growing up and now. So what's funny about growing up is that I think I was just too old. Is that <laughs> is that I watched all sorts of cartoons and there were some of those, you know, Japanese anime cartoons that came to the US. Oh yeah. Um, and I I loved those. I watched Ultraman as a kid mm-hmm. and I th- I'm trying to remember what year Transformers actually premiered but i think i was just stopping watching cartoons you know i think i was like i bet it was like 82 or 83 and Mm -hmm. i was just starting high school you know right so i saw some of them but it's like that generation of cartoons when you got to things like thundercats and you know that that i know um our our friends that like mike vogel and shannon who are a little bit younger they loved but i didn't really watch these that much Mm -hmm. i so they they were things that i kind of knew about right right right. didn't watch that much how how about you oh for me it was absolutely being like uh two or three years difference between us i was at that right age where i was waking up uh and i can't remember if they show transformers in the morning or G.I. Joe in the afternoon, or G.I. Joe in the morning and Transformers in the afternoon. But either way, I was devoted to watching these cartoons. I was so blown away by the voiceover work being done by that. I think it's somewhere in the back of my mind I could figure out some of the voices like Casey Kasem and Scatman Crothers and what have (laughs) you, because I was just kind of coming into my own as understanding media as a multi-pronged thing. So for me, the stories of these heroes who are here on Earth and have to fight these evil people and you had the kid who was like they're uh they're like uh basically the human stand-in for all of us kind of going on all these adventures with the uh with the autobots as they tried to fight the decepticons just kind of captivated me overall i was thundercuts thundercats he-man transformers kid that's me that's all of what i was into but transformers always held a special place in my heart because i just love the idea that they were so such good people who are trying to save this planet and we're not even from this planet kind of superman vibes to them overall and that they could change into different like cars and stuff it was cool as hell i've never been a car guy but i enjoyed that aspect of it all it just seemed to radiate coolness for me uh um as a kid as a teenager and i i never stopped feeling that way about transformers uh, overall so it's funny. This is yeah. where I'm I'm two years older than you. Mm. And I think that's I think that's the difference. I really because yeah. I have such and I looked it up by the way, it's 1984 okay. is when it premiered. So I was already a sophomore in high school. Right, right. Um w- when this came out, maybe even a junior. And I, I I actually remember having this um I was babysitting for a kid mm. and and they were like so into Transformers and turned it on. And I remember having this thought of like, oh, 
I don't care anymore. Like it was the weird sort of, <laughs> because I love cartoons and this is totally something I would have watched. Right. I also think we have to pay homage in a way. I think Transformers is the greatest concept to sell toys of oh. any cartoon product, any, any property in history. Yeah. It is genius. Yeah, you're a thousand percent correct. I mean, this was the whole point of it. And in fact, Transformers hasn't always had like the greatest track record uh, like any other franchises has its ups and downs. Certainly through the 80s, uh, Steve, it was massive. It was big, but it started waning in the 90s. And if it wasn't for Beast Wars, we would probably never have a Transformers film, never have a Transformers uh, franchise that continued. Beast Wars kind of saved the Transformers. And then, of course, GoBots, were, who, which were created before the Transformers, Hasbro kind of bought the GoBots up and then turned the GoBots slowly but surely or combine them slowly but surely into the Transformers franchise. And so they had multiple levels to appeal from the beginning of your youth because the GoBots were basically for the uh, the preteens up until, you know, you're an adult. So they, cut, they got you covered all through your life as a franchise should for sure, uh, uh, with this uh, with this situation of cars changing and everything like that, but it's but it's very Japanese influenced, and you know it's very interesting, Steve. So is Star Wars, right? Star Wars, uh, Akira Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress influences jo uh, George Lucas's approach to Star Wars. Is it the overall influence? No, but it is there as a foundational thing. Whereas with Transformers, it is from uh, Japanese creators, Japanese makers, and they create this. Uh, animated series to sell toys and it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant which is why i always find when people get too reverential about transformers i go it was made to sell toys calm down you know and people put too much of their own personal thing on the on this franchise and and kind of ding the movies a little bit for that reason and it always kind of strikes me a little odd Overall, I respect it, but I don't always uh, uh, agree with it, so to speak. So, um, now what about now? Let's uh, oh, let's see if we now remember, ladies and gentlemen, we got the stream labs and super chats open. If you want, oh, Steve, did I lose you? What happened? Oh, sorry about that. Did I lose you? I, I, I don't know what happened. I just I got knocked yeah. out, and then and then I was listening, and you were talking to me, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm not on camera. That's Everyone's funny. missing my facial expressions. Fair point. That was not on purpose, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Not on purpose at all. Yeah. So yeah, so you see a lot of people already filling in the dots. So certainly a franchise that engenders a lot of conversation with people who are joining us for sure. And I will put the address in the chat for people to send in Streamlabs. Also going to have it uh, floating in the banner below here on camera for people to kind of send in their questions, thoughts, and comments and super chats as well as we get into this. All right, Steve, so let's talk about this. 2007's Transformers. Do you remember when you heard they were going to make a film of this, a live-action film, and that Michael Bay was going to be involved in it? What were your initial thoughts, your initial reactions? Well, I am not the Michael Bay fan that you are. <laughs> um, who, who can be? Who can? Be? Sure. And and I wasn't a huge Transformers fan, but I remember seeing the trailer, mm -hmm. and I remember going, "Holy shit, that looks amazing!" And yes. that is, you know, the, uh, whatever other comments I might have about this film, it looks amazing. Mm. And and I remember now. I think is it possible? Did we see it together? Because oh, I think I saw it at Century maybe. City. Okay. Um, and I remember, I feel like I was with, you know, our group of friends. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like 
there was the reaction of some people, yes. you, going, <laughs> that was the coolest thing in the world. And I was quietly sitting going, I don't want to ruin anybody's good time. <laughs> well, and, and this is the thing. And I had to tell you how uh, how I saw it. Uh, I watched it uh, yesterday. Yeah. Um, or Friday. I'm sorry. I watched it Friday with my son who had never seen it. And I had two completely parallel experiences. Wow. These are the two experiences. On the one hand, everything I thought about the movie from when I saw it in 2007, mm -hmm. I still think about that movie. Okay. On the other hand, my son loved it. He loved every second of it. He was cheering. He was clapping. I literally wrote down, I'm not generally a, my kid said the cutest thing guy. <laughs> I literally wrote down a lot of quotes because they were really <laughs> funny. And so, and this is the thing. He loved it. So yeah. that, you know, that's awesome. And, right. and, and because of that, we actually, I didn't quite get through it, but we've been watching uh, Bumblebee today. Oh, nice. And, Almost at the end, man. That is a good movie. Yes, it is. That uh, is. Yeah, I have I have entirely different feelings about Bumblebee than I do about uh, Transformers. Yeah, you. you, you sorry, good. No, sorry. you go ahead. No, I was saying, just that, asking. That, that pretty much lines up with <laughs> most fans' feelings. Is they love Bumblebee because that's more of the G one vibe, more of the original vibe. Michael Bay made some very strong and bold decisions. Bold doesn't also mean better, but it does mean different. It does mean striking. It does mean uh, that people will have a reaction to something that is bold. He made a lot of bold changes to the Transformers to bring them into live action. And you can't argue that the man made a financially brilliant decision to do this because these films have made over $4.5 billion dollars at the box office, the ones he directed, right? I'm not including Bumblebee, but four and a half billion dollars, the series that he directed. Was it a law of diminishing returns on the last two installments? A lot of people would argue that, and I would not begrudge them that argument. But overall, this was one that's pretty much universally noted, or cited rather, as their favorite, as the best one of the series that Michael Bay directed. Um, it got good reviews for the most part, uh, and fans responded to it with an A in the cinema score. And as you got younger, the teenage fans from 18 to 25, I think it was, gave it an A+. plus. So people certainly had a really good time in the theater. Uh, and just one fact, and we'll throw facts as we talk about this, Michael Bay took a 30% pay cut to direct the movie because he wanted that money to be used towards special effects, towards the look of the film, towards the overall aspect of the film. And maybe he anticipated that this film would make a lot of money and he'd be fine sacrificing 30% of his usual salary for it. I don't know. Um, I, it, it's funny, and, I, and I, I'm going to just put this out there right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's come up before, but there are certain directors that rub me the wrong way. <laughs> and Michael Bay is on that list. Yeah. So, And it's so funny how you're predisposition or attitude towards something affects how I take news. Because if I hear normally a director, oh, they took a pay cut because they wanted all the money to go on the screen, I go, awesome. And my first thought, because it was Michael Bay, was, really? <laughs> <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's not fair. I mean, right. it, you know, because I don't, I mean, I, I don't think he's a nice guy. I just, I know mm -hmm. we talked about it years ago when we yes. did uh transformers or when we did armageddon right. that the commentary track on armageddon he is such a dick yes he is he is 
angry, arrogant, mean-spirited, condescending, yeah. and maybe he has reformed, you know, since then, but he is not, yeah, he is not a person that I love, but it, uh, he he has an amazing eye. He has an incredible sense of spe- visual effects. Yeah. The cinematography in this movie is, oh I wrote down so many times, like beautiful, gorgeous, yeah. amazing shot. It looks amazing. Yeah, you're a thousand um, percent right, Steve. So that 30% pay cut, maybe it did really end up on the screen because the movie looks great. Yeah, agreed with that. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I come back to when I watch, you know, I rewatched it again today in preparation for our conversation because I've seen it so many times. But I pulled out the four because I bought the entire 4K collection of all the Transformers films, at least the Michael Bay ones that he did. I have the Bubbly 4K as well as a separate disc, but I bought that collection when it was on sale uh, for Black Friday recently last year. And so um, I was excited. I hadn't put the, the this one in to watch yet and it was gorgeous absolutely gorgeous whatever your issues may be with these films and rightfully so for some people i would you know totally wouldn't begrudge them that it is that all these films are shot beautifully there are some incredible compositions on screen uh when you're watching these movies that keep you kind of in the spirit of the movie if you like these kinds of movies um overall so I want to get. I wanted to bring. Go ahead, go ahead, Steve. Well, no, I was just. I was just going to say. I. That's where I find. So I. I find this movie hard to analyze because okay. because of what you just said. It looks incredible. I got the 4K Blu-ray. Uh, I mean, it just. It's astounding mm-hmm. how good it looks. Um, the special effects are great. Yeah. When the robots are on screen, and I remember this is the memory I have so strongly from when I saw it in the theater was when you see the Transformers, you're just like, oh my God, they're real. They're walking yeah. around in Los Angeles. It is absolutely convincing. And my kid had a ball. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the story makes any sense. <laughs> I think <laughs> this movie is like the, the, the note I wrote down was nobody does cliche like Michael Bay. You know? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I don't think I don't think he knows what a real human is like, <laughs> or no. like they're just, just these are just everybody's a caricature. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and and it's and I remember this, you know, we, from like the opening of Armageddon. It's like I don't think he's been anywhere or interacted with humans. I think he's only watched movies, <laughs> and therefore, if we go to Qatar or something yeah. like that, it's like that's not what it's like. <laughs> you know, you just went ah, it's Arabs in the desert. I didn't need to do any research or anything. Let's yeah. put up a cliche, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. You know, so when this came out, I have to say, I think we did see it together as a, as a group. I think a bunch of us did. I think you're absolutely right on that. I remember being just blown away. I think I went back three more times to see it in the theater because um, I just, there was an IMAX version. So this is one of those rare films. Wow. I went to go see an IMAX uh, that year because that was still somewhat new to me, going to a movie theater in Los Angeles to watch an IMAX movie. That was somewhat new to me. Still kind of is. I think you can count on both my hands how many times I've been to an IMAX screening of a movie um, overall. I don't always tend to go to IMAX uh, for these movies, but something like uh, – for movies, rather, but something like this – you kind of re it kind of really brings out how incredible the film is. And it wasn't shot for IMAX, but they screened it and had extra footage to it. And I remember that's what got me in the theater. Extra footage. I gotta go see this thing and what have you. So but it's it, 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 so go ahead. Yep. Yeah. And how was the extra footage? Did it 
How'd it made it even better. It made it even better. You know, this was not a cinema paradiso situation. Um, but and I love it because it's in, 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 let's 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 kind of break this thing down a little bit, Steve. I mean, uh, this uh, started. Let me see if I've got some facts here. I want to make sure I get correct how uh, how this all uh, came about and came to be overall uh, for us to see this thing. Uh, it's apparently one of the producers, Don Murphy, was planning a G.I. Joe adaptation. Uh, but when the United States invaded Iraq in March of 2003, Hasbro suggested adapting the Transformers franchise instead, maybe taking on maybe kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit and sensing, well, let's go this route instead of the G.I. Joe route. This will make it seem a little more easier, a little more kid-friendly, what have you. And I would agree with you that – I would agree, sorry. I would say that the Transformers films overall are way better than those G.I. Joe travesties that they've released so far. Uh, Tom DeSanto joined with uh, with uh, Don Murphy to make this happen. They met with comic book writer Simon Furman, and they worked – they kind of worked through the G1 cartoon and comics – as their influence and then steven spielberg came aboard in 2004 as executive producer and the, and then they hired robert roberto orsi and alex kurtzman guys you guys must know orsi and kurtzman from a number of projects uh and uh, they kind of hammered out a script and spielberg's big controversial contribution to this was he wanted them to approach it like a boy and his dog you talk about cliches steve this comes back to Sam Witwicky and Bumblebee. That's what this comes back to. And Bumblebee itself, the movie that you were talking about that you're watching with Jax, Bumblebee is that as well. Bumblebee is absolutely girl yeah. and is and her dog. You know, so I think that's an essential part of this because uh, some of the human stories lines get dinged here, but I don't think this would have worked or been as been a, something people wanted to come back and see over and over again if we didn't have the human storylines working throughout the movie. What do you think? So I think I actually like Shia LaBeouf in this movie. Yeah. I think he does a good job. I think this is in his, you know, quirky, interesting beginnings. Yes. I think Michael Bay, it's so interesting because what he does, it seems to me is hire in interesting actors mm. because because i don't think he knows anything about humans and because <laughs> i don't think he particularly cares about dialogue or stories is that you hire that ensemble in armageddon and you let them improvise a lot and they're a lot of fun because they're interesting people yes. and i think this movie has the same thing although in, in some degree it's like you're watching some good genuinely good actors do whatever they can to try to make this thing work and, yeah. and it's so funny contrasting because you say you know the boy and his dog story yeah contrasting sam witwicky and bumblebee to the three quarters of the bumblebee movie mm. i've seen is that one of them has genuine human caring and the other yeah. one has the veneer of humanness you know right, what i mean right like they're but because because if you look at the and this is this goes I, I actually think this says a lot about filmmaking i'm glad that i got a chance at least to start bumblebee yeah. is that the is that if i pitch you there's this kid and he's kind of awkward and he's stressed out and he doesn't and the cool kids don't like him and he's desperate to get a car and he's doing everything possible and then he gets the car and the car ends up being bumblebee and that changes his life and he meets a cool you know someone of the opposite sex and all these things happen yeah um and, and gets to show his heroism and all that that describes both bumblebee and transformers yeah 
Good point. It's exactly the same story. Yeah. And the different and so that's why and so you pitch that and it's like, oh, that sounds really good. And one has human feeling and one doesn't. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> like yes. I mean, Shy is funny and he's and he's quirky. And it's like, uh, yeah, like the characters of Megan Fox and him, do they have an actual connection or am I just kind of being told that they do? Right. You know, <laughs> that's how I feel about it. And by the way, the, 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 ex, what I would call the exploitive shots of Megan Fox oh, were yeah. exploitive in 2007. And watching them today, I was like, man, Jesus Christ. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. very clear. Right. Exactly. And you're not wrong. And I think that's a fair uh, criticism excuse me to have and certainly when you hear the stories about how he auditioned her by have by watching her wash his car that's what he asked her to do in order to cast her in the movie certainly there were issues there and, and megan fox spoke out about working with him compared him to hitler uh which yeah. got her kicked off the third film they brought in mrs jason statham rosie huntington whitley to take her spot and then eventually brought her back i think for the teenage mutant ninja turtles so certainly her and Michael Bay kind of repaired things. Uh, and Steven Spielberg apparently didn't like that she had spoken out of turn about Michael Bay. That's what the reports say. There's no actual quote from him saying that. But some of the reports said that he didn't like that. He's not a fan of actors kind of running down directors, especially when a director has given you your big break. But you can understand in this situation that she was being ogled in essence. But, I mean, you know, it is told from a male point of view. That's for sure. I don't think it's as bad as what you might get in some of those Joss Whedon Wonder Woman shots where you're clearly going up her skirt. There's There are shots where a young man is looking at a girl and he is turned on by her, looking at her stomach, looking at her face. That seems innocent because Sam is so clumsy and awkward and stupid. It's not played off. I don't think it's played necessarily. Like she doesn't run out in a bikini out of nowhere, but like it's like you saw in Star Trek Into Darkness, right? There are yeah. moments where there certainly she's it's a young teenage couple and they got their hormones going crazy. But Sam is played and, and LaBeouf uh, creates this inner life of a very awkward kid. But I want to go back to your early criticism. And I think you're absolutely right, Steve. The difference between Haley Steinfeld's uh, character in her in Bumblebee and uh, Sam Witwicky, Shia LaBeouf is absolutely different you're a thousand percent right there's way more heart in what Haley steinfeld is doing whereas LeBouf, i think he's doing a good job for what he's given but he's essentially playing the broad overstrokes of an awkward teenage kid and megan fox's character michaela is in one moment like she's all cuddling up with uh with the captain of the high football team in class and then even when sam shows up she puts her arms around his chest or whatever so it seems like she's okay being this dude's girlfriend and then all of a sudden she's like oh you don't know how much i'm not your baby a, a weird kind of feminist moment in this when she had seemed to be very much okay being his baby, and then all of a sudden she's thrust into this, and then her and Sam kind of come together. It doesn't really come from anywhere honest or real, and she has these random moments of like, well, you know, uh, you know, oh, did you think I'm, yeah, guys don't like it when you know more than they do. So I think you're right. You hear the things that you would think an empowered woman would say, but there isn't the foundation to support her saying these things because they haven't done enough work to build that up with her character. Well, that's that's the thing. And this is where, yeah. you know, good writing comes in. Yes. A thing that Michael Bay is not that familiar with, in my opinion. I don't think he cares about it. I mean, I think that's a, it's, it's so funny. So I watched some of the behind the scenes just so I can mm -hmm. get a little bit of information. Oh, God, I've I'm never, sorry. 
I've never, well, it's, it's actually interesting because they're really good at doing what they're doing. Oh, you know? yes, they are. You know, so mm -hmm. hearing technically how they, you know, previs the, the, oh, yeah. all the, the robots and how they brought, you know, related them to the cars and the color matching and how they're ha handling the light. And it, like, like one of the things I read or saw was if you had three transformers on screen at the same time, all moving, yeah. that one frame of film took 38 hours to render in the computer, yep. Yep. you know, like that's so, so, they're technical geniuses who are working on this film. Yes. And I, again, will say Michael Bay is genius at this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And, and, but, but what, what I was going to say is like, I've never heard the words badass and <laughs> bitching looking more often <laughs> in a behind the scenes thing is that's where he is. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, how do I make this bitching? How yeah. do I make it badass? And so like, it doesn't matter that Megan Fox's character doesn't particularly make sense. Right. You know, like you don't feel cause, cause again, it's like, it's, it's a karate kid setup, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that the, the, the cool, the beautiful girl is dating the asshole and then eventually is going to start dating the nerd or going right, to have right, her right. develop some relationship with the nerd. The problem is the way they establish her is that she seems like one of them. Yeah. As opposed to Ali and Karate Kid, where it's clear that she's a really nice, great person who's just dating the wrong guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a good um, comparison. You're absolutely right on that. Yeah. Well, this is what I mean about Michael Bay just watches movies and takes yeah. pieces. You know, it's like we have the computer nerds and right. they're just a bunch of cliches, mm -hmm. you know? And he thinks again, and it's just a classic, overly simplistic thing. Oh, I, you know what? I'm going to be real clever, and I'm going to have this beautiful blonde be the leader of the computer hackers. Right. Rachel you know. Taylor. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and it, but again, it's not like she's a real character. It's not like she makes sense. You mm -hmm. know, I was watching Totoro come in, and, <laughs> and, and he's just he's working so hard to try to make a meal out of that part. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, none of it makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like the, 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 I love, I love the, the soldiers, you know, Josh DeMell and like that we track from the beginning that somehow are the most important, like they're like generals by the end, yeah. they're just yeah. ordering the entire military. Right. And you yeah. And, and again, it's cliche after cliche, like the, the, the operator who's trying to make the collect call to the, <laughs> to the Pentagon. It's like every cliche yeah. we can think of, we're going to yeah. throw into this. Let's movie. get the Indian guy with the accent to like make that to, can I sell you this plan and blah, blah, blah. You're right. You're absolutely right. And even the Latino soldier, why is he speaking in Spanish? That is such a, in 2021, looking back at that, you're like, why? This is so stupid. I think I have to, I think I have to say, even in 2007, I thought it was dumb because we don't just walk around spewing Spanish just for, for shits and giggles. Uh, and so it's like the the way he's doing these broad brush strokes, you know, of these characters. Certainly, you can feel that way. Like at, right at the beginning, Steve, you talk about cliche them sitting in the uh, in the in the airplane, essentially having the I can't wait to get back and have that hot dog and meet Marianne at the park. Boom, you're dead. Like there's having that conversation that you see in every other war film. Yet it's 2007. Why are you having this conversation? Well, I'm going to tell you, I've been in a number of Humvees, a number of transports for eight years in the military. We never once fucking talked about what we're going to do when we get back home. Like, it's not that kind of thing, you know? Well, and it's it's like he saw aliens and he's like, oh, it's cool to have a, a bunch of mm -hmm. military people, each one with their character. 
<laughs> you know, and where aliens, you really buy it, you know, you yeah. like, wow, this is great. This is just, it's like, you know, it's the, it's the, it's a copy of a copy. And right. so Good it's point. just sort of, he's now doing this thing. And that character, it, I totally bumped on it too. Not just that he is just randomly speaking Spanish to people who don't like, can you imagine if you're just hanging out with us and just randomly just yeah. burst into Spanish? Yeah. No like, why would I ever do that? Like, why would, I, why would any Latino ever do that? Unless you're talking crap about the people around you to another <laughs> Spanish person right. that will do, but like <laughs> talking to, to, to them in Spanish makes no sense at all, period. So, well, and then he happens to be from New Orleans, and what do people from New Orleans talk about? They talk about eating alligators all the time. Etouffee, son. Etouffee. Yeah. It's like, and it's like, that's what I mean. Is like, Michael Bay's never been to New Orleans, you know, <laughs> he's never spoken to a Latino, he just has a cartoon cutout of what someone from New Orleans who's Latino would do, exactly. you know, exactly. I mean, it's, Go ahead, go, Steve. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead. I was like, it's weird to figure out because he's also very sympathetic to, like, you know, these people in Qatar, the people who live in Qatar, the you know, the kid that uh, Josh Duhamel's helping running to their village, make trying to protect them from this thing. Of course, they brought this thing to the village, but like protecting them from this thing. Or, and I will say this, dude, it's pretty all in it's how can I say this? It's all inspiring, and I don't mean inspiring, I mean all inspiring watching those actual military planes and they did use the military oh, absolutely yeah. let them use all their uh, uh, equipment there shooting out of the sky you really kind of understand the level of power that we have in the united states military i think someone said if you take away the transformers this film becomes a massive commercial for the armed forces and i'm like yeah that's actually not a bad way to look or actually not a uh, incorrect assessment uh, of the movie overall that kind of stuff i really enjoyed when you're watching the military uh people and you're right by the end though they're in charge of everything because no one else has more exposure to this than they do they're just calling in airstrikes and yeah. <laughs> in the middle of los angeles <laughs> make it rain <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff uh Philip uh, Butler says real quick, uh, just because I like your shows, this has nothing to do with Transformers. Thank you, gents. Steve, I'll be listening to EI. It's just Enterprise Incidents, Steve's new show, right after this with Scott Mance. Roca, as always, you're awesome. Oh, thanks, Philip. Even if you don't like Bret Hart. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Uh, what thanks are we so say, much, Philip. Yeah. Oh, I was just I was just gonna say the um the way that the US government oh no, no, that's not what I was gonna say. Here's what I was gonna say mm-hmm. is is Absolutely, the military technology looks amazing. I know that this was that Michael Bay has really good relationships with the military. I know that he, that he had to convince the Air Force because, in this case, they're like the Air Force is the bad guys. Yeah. So associating these, I think it's F twenty twos with uh, Decepticons. And this is my question for you: Is you were a Transformers fan? Yeah. My understanding is they were not all jets. That you know that isn't Megatron right. a gun. Right, um, that was originally a gun. Yes, yes. So, how did you feel about the changes that were made to the characters for this stuff? I, I'm one of those people that like. This is the reason why I like these movies. I like the choices Michael Bay made. I like the decisions he made to try to kind of update it. Um, also, you got to deal with the reality of the situation too, because Transformers has been more international in the past, and he made all the cars American cars because they had worked out a deal with GM. Right. Uh, to make sure so that's why all the cars are american cars he updated he they said uh, one of the uh, notes i have 
is the producers were asked, like, why did you change Megatron from a gun to a plane? And they said, well, uh, the fact that he turns into a gun and someone else yields him, it's like Darth Vader turning into his own lightsaber and someone else is wielding the lightsaber. It doesn't make sense. So I said, yeah, that makes that. I like that idea as well. I like uh, 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 Optimus Prime becoming a Peterbilt truck. I love that. It, to me, Peterbilts are like these huge ramming things that you've seen on the highway in the past. So it totally worked for me as well. I like the Bumblebee redesign. Michael Bay didn't want to go with uh, with the uh, Volkswagen Beetle because he didn't want comparisons to Herbie the Love Bug. And I think Herbie the Love Bug had come out the year before in 2006 with uh, Lindsay Lohan. So he oh. didn't want any of that comparison, so they went more updated. It's a sleeker, more stylish uh, approach to Transformers. It's clean. It's beautiful. Uh, if not levels deep, you know, that's the exchange, I think when you look at this movie, but it must have appealed to a lot of people, Steve, because it made so much money and it consistently made a lot of money every installment until the uh, the last night. Um, and even Bumblebee didn't beat the last night in terms of box office. So there must be something to his formula that works. Well, I think we can, after many years of doing the cinephiles, you and I both, let's say, scholars of film... <laughs> can say with a lot of assurance yeah. that there's often very little connection between box office and quality. Well, you sure. Know? Absolutely. Yeah, like you, if, you look at, if you look at the list of the 10 greatest or 100 greatest films of all time, whatever list you want to look at, True. and you look at the 100 biggest box office films of all time, there's going to be a lot of stuff that is not... There's very little that's on both. You're right. You know what You're I mean? Absolutely right. Yeah. Like but people, yeah, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. People go to see this. People don't always want to watch, you know, yeah. Requiem for a Dream and 12 Years a Slave. They don't generally. I went to see Requiem for a Dream 18 times in the theater, and then I saw it on IMAX. You know, people don't do that. You know, they want to go have a fun, good time on the weekend. And this is a fun, good time. Absolutely. Um, by the way, by the way, the both on the in in the uh, behind the scenes on the gun and on the uh, going from the VW mm -hmm. to the Camaro. The word "badass" was used. Yes, <laughs> the gun was not was. badass. The the VW bug not badass. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, well, you know, back doing that job we used to do, Steve. You know, uh, I I did it different years than you did uh, for some of my time there. Um, we got the Transformers franchises. I watched those films and the behind the scenes religiously. Well, not religiously because I wanted to, but because it was part of the job. But those behind the scenes are almost worth more than the actual film. Because if you're an up-and-coming filmmaker and you want to work in a, a blockbuster capacity, those are like uh, a, a class 101 of what you're going to have to encounter, what you're going to have to do, how big the crew can be, what you're going to have to manage, and the kind of minutia you're going to have to uh, be in charge of to make this thing work and be really reflective of you um and michael bay is not no high, for hire director when you hire michael bay you're going to get a michael bay film for lack of a better term and people might get mad at me if you say this he's an auteur he's a, you know a michael bay film when you see it doesn't mean he's great at it or a great auteur but he is an auteur you know the spinning thing you know all of the things that you're going to get from a michael bay movie um, and they hired him in 2005. So, you know, before this thing came out in 2007, he went in there and worked at it. And uh, I think if I'm not incorrect, 
Um, he locked himself in a in a hotel room with Orsi and Kurtzman for two weeks as they hammered out the script. So I, I can't imagine what it would be like to lock be locked in a hotel room with Michael Bay for twenty four hours, let alone two weeks. There, I, I am not a violent person, as you know, but <laughs> I think. It would be really hard for me not to hit him. <laughs> you have to take a just, lot of walks. A lot of walks. Because he's just, he's so arrogant. Yeah. And he's so, like, and you can just, the way he tells things, like, and, and I remember it was on, the, I think it was on Armageddon, but there was like, they showed me these costumes. I'm like, what the fuck are these? You think these are, you know, and he's yelling at people and all this. Yeah. You know, it's just, and, and, you know, that does result in people putting in a lot of work to make things look right. I mean, we, you yeah. know. James Cameron is a domineering, yelling yes. person. True. Ridley Scott is. Like, there are a lot of directors. Obviously, Kubrick is brutal. John Ford was brutal to people yeah. on the set that didn't True. do what, you know, didn't live up to his what he wanted. I mean, it's not an uncommon thing. Right. Um, but by the way, I was just thinking one thing about the designs of, of the robots. For me, hmm. I find them slightly too busy. There's so many yeah. little moving parts that I actually like the, and again, it's, you know, from, cause I was just looking at Bumblebee yeah. is because his face is much simpler. It's easier to create facial expressions and things like that. And because mm. the, uh, in this movie, they're so complicated. There's so many things going on. It's a little harder for me to mm -hmm. read them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally understand that. And certainly I, I won't, uh, um, I, I won't fight anybody who has issue with the fight scenes they become too busy. They become confusing. Who is punching who? Who is beating up who? Um, and they can be quite brutal, you know, like the ripping in half of a, oh, of a yeah. Transformers. It is PG-13, but I think some of the images, if you have a 13-year-old, could be quite, like, unsettling to watch, for sure. You know, that one dude who, at the beginning, or near the beginning, rather, who gets uh, stabbed by that uh, Scorpiocon, whatever it's called, stab completely and then whipped around it's an yeah. unsettling thing so i think michael bay at his heart is an r-rated director but he can work within the pg-13 confines begrudgingly you know we see it here for sure um someone cinema studies just wrote something that yeah. i had the same thought of uh comparing Zack snyder to uh mm -hmm. michael bay and it's so interesting because i think they are similar. Yes. I think Zack Snyder, from what I know, is a much nicer human. Um, but <laughs> yes. it is the same thing yes. of like both geniuses in terms of visuals and special effects, both not necessarily always the best in story, but I would rather watch a Zack Snyder movie than a Michael Bay movie in general. Don't make me choose. I don't think it could. <laughs> it's Sophie's <laughs> choice for you. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is. It depends on the movie, that's for sure. Um, uh, let's see here. We got a couple of Streamlabs that have come through. Let's read them. Steve, uh, Justin Toner said, Hi, John and Steve. I am no fan of Michael Bay either, but his first Transformers film is fun entertainment for me. Outside of Bumblebee, the rest of the sequels are terrible. I hope the next Transformer film is as good as Bumblebee was. Thanks, guys. Well, I can't speak to any of the sequels because I've never seen them. But what what do you think about the about how the sequels go? Because I know you're a big oh, fan yeah. of this whole of the series. Well, I hate the second one. It's so supremely racist with some of the characters uh, in the second one, overtly racist, right? And uh, uh, I think that bothers me a lot. I think, and they get rid of those characters in the third one, or they kind of move them out eventually at the beginning of the third one, and they kind of veer away from that. 
And then as we go on, we see uh, uh, more of the story expanding, expanding, and expanding out. And uh, I find it to be audacious as hell, but I appreciate, for lack of a better term, the stones on Michael Bay to see, like, look, if, if these movies keep making money, it's my it's basically carte blanche for me to push this thing out as far as I can go. And it's no con- it's no uh, coincidence that the movies become longer and longer as he goes along. I think the last one, not Bumblebee, but last night, I think was two hours and 30 minutes, two hours and 35 minutes. It's pretty insane. Uh, and he makes them longer and longer. So to me, uh, I think the sequels are a law of diminishing returns. Although the third one, I think, is good. It is essentially a law of diminishing returns. You don't have the same, for lack of a better term, magic as you might have, as you have in the first one um, uh, throughout, you know. Um, the, but, Steve, you can't argue these casts. I mean, they bring uh, Torturo in for this. He's in the next one, I believe. Then, and, and Francis McDormand comes into this. Kelsey Grammer, Stanley Tucci. These are like independent film actors. And some re- for some reason, Michael Bay can talk these people into coming onto his projects. And I think that goes back to them, like at the heart of being an actor is being a kid. And they love this stuff. You know, there's a chance for them not to act so serious. You know, I'm not a meth head recovering from a divorce, trying to process my loss or reconnect with my lost child. I'm just in here dealing with like talking cars. This is going to be awesome. I can, and I clear a pretty good paycheck and I can yeah. just roll on with my life. Well, I, I mean, I think... This is the A, we can't ignore the paycheck. <laughs> it's it's not a lot of days, probably. Oh, probably you know, not. yeah. You, you know, because they come in for three days or four days mm-hmm. or something to shoot their little piece of it. And you're on, I mean, I, I think it'd be fun to be on a Michael Bay set, not necessarily dealing with Michael Bay, <laughs> but like, <laughs> so I'm going to drive up in this cool car and then I'm going to pretend that I see a giant robot looking down at me and then I'm going to, okay. You know, yeah, it could be fun for a couple of days work. Why not? You know? Yeah. Why not? Doesn't all have to be, you know, a big uh, tour thing. Do you want to read the next one? Sorry, Steve. I, I should know. I, I know you're reading the stream. I'm sorry about that. Do you no, have no. it up? L- listen, I as I managed to because inst- I have a new computer and I didn't have ah. Streamlabs on it, so I managed to just get it up. So is the next one Park Holler? Is that yes, the next one? Parker okay. Holler? Yep. Uh, Parker writes. Uh, I really admire John for being progressive and socially just. The feeling <laughs> yeah. this so is you're, the take a turn. you're the one. You're the one. I feel. You know, I have a feeling this is going to take a turn, yes. <laughs> which makes me wonder how he can tolerate how in these movies they overly sexualizes women and reduces minorities to racial stereotypes. Well, does he though? I mean, I get the Latino thing. I point that out in the first movie, but that doesn't come back the rest of the series. Um, and if you're talking about Tyrese Gibson. I have met Tyrese Gibson. I have interviewed Tyrese Gibson. That's Tyrese Gibson. He can be an emotional, passionate dude. He can yell. Have you watched his videos? So that's, I don't think they're racially stereotyping here. And if he was over-sexualizing women, we never see that. Uh, no, look, I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm, I know he does. I'm saying some of the dings on this, the evidence isn't as strong as in other movies, right? Does he make these women look sexy and beautiful? Yes. Of course. Does he cast women who are sexy and beautiful? Yes. You know why? Because he's trying to appeal to a male audience. That's where he makes his money is a male audience. He knows how to cater to them and what have you. So I don't go into a Transformers movie looking for socially just uh, things to happen. Uh, I'm looking for good versus evil 
and some fun kick-ass uh, thing. Um, and with the women, like, yes, Megan Fox is wearing a jean skirt and she's pushing up the thing and you focus on her stomach in that shot. Totally get it. But like I said, you don't see her walking around in a bikini or in her underwear. And then Rachel Taylor, who is beautiful, Australia, great actress, Australian uh, programmer. You don't see her come out of the shower or something in her towel. Like you don't see any of that. So yes, there is sexualization of women in his movies, but I don't think it's as overt as people would imply. And so many women come to work with him, uh, and and in all in, in in a lot of his movies. So I don't know. I mean, Francis McDormand is in his movie. You'd think Francis McDormand would be one of the first people to be like, "No, you sexualize women. I'm not going to work in your movie." So it's that's that's kind of how I look at it. I understand what this product is, and it's not trying to influence people to hate Latinos or make fun of Latinos. And I'm going to tell you this: in 2007. I think you'd be surprised how many of your favorite filmmakers have got some questionable stuff in their movies in terms of race or women. We were not as progressive back then, or people weren't listening in Hollywood to the progressiveness back then. They are now. So, so I, you know, obviously we, you and I have been navigating this topic for in, in different ways for, for since we've been doing the show mm-hmm. is for a things change. You know, yes, um, absolutely. And so things that were cool in 1973 or in 1958 or in 1995, maybe not so cool now. Right. Um, totally. I I believe that I think I said this a long time ago is that in general, we want to look at beautiful things, beautiful scenery, yeah. beautiful special effects, beautiful cinematography and beautiful people. In general, you don't cast a movie full of ugly people. Now. Yeah. I, I know that sounds harsh, but it is an aesthetic art form, you know? And mm-hmm. so, and I also believe that we are humans are sexual beings and that guys do check out women. Yeah. Guys are drawn to attractive looking women. That is reality. And to say, and to make the statement, like I am not going to film this element of human behavior because it's objectifying, I think is that is not the right choice, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I do think he objectifies Megan Fox in a way that is fairly uh, disgusting. Honestly, I, I really do. Can you I think cite he, some examples besides the stomach shot? Is there another? Well, it's the way he it, it, it's the way he lingers on her, and and this ah, is the thing. It's okay. not. It's the fact that our character Sam mm-hmm. sees this beautiful woman and notices that she's a beautiful woman. That is perfectly reasonable right right. the fact that she is always slightly sweaty you know the fact you know it's like the way he does it and well this is this is the thing about the film as a whole i actually think you know because it's filled with cliches we talked about the indian operator you know bernie max character like every you know like everything is olivia yeah yeah you know like it's it's that he know he has no interest in knowing anything about humans Mm -hmm. or going making these characters any deeper you know, like, uh, and it, you know, these are complicated issues. Is it okay to make a boy's movie, a boy's fantasy is, right. you know, is that, oh, cause this is a story about the nerdy guy who it, literally it's the kid fantasy of yeah. I'm going to save the hot girl's life, or I'm going to be thrown into a life and death situation. And then she'll finally notice me. Right. That's what this movie is. And is that okay? Like yeah. I, I, I dis, you know, cause it's come up many, many times. 
I, I'm a very firm believer in free speech and I believe there's room for people to make lots of kinds of movies. I would never do the, some of the things that Michael Bay does. I, yeah, it is. I mean, this is a, you know, we talked about this. This is a movie made by a white guy mm-hmm. who's really not that interested. And he puts a bunch of people from a bunch of different places in it and, and, you know, men and women. And, but I don't think he's actually interested in getting to know any of those people to right. me. Okay. You know, that's my yeah. feeling about it. No, and I think you're right. You're absolutely right. He's not interested in getting to know these people. But, you know, Rachel Taylor, he does not do that with Rachel, though. Like, as a no. programmer, he respects that she does what she does. He, he, I mean, he makes – this is what's uh, confounding about Michael Bay. He does make strong, empowered women. He does put strong, empowered women in his movies. Does he also, at times – uh, as you said, because I didn't think about that, the fact that she's sweaty and glistening or all that most of the time. Uh, but she's also running around most of the time. But I get your point. Uh, do it's, it's the confusing part of Michael Bay because I think he does, at some level, respect the strength of a woman, but he doesn't. But he also has to mix in his de- physical desire or attractiveness for a woman in the way he creates his, his uh, female characters on the screen. You know? Well, it's like it's like the moment in the car where she's up next to him and he goes, well, why don't you sit on my lap and we'll both use the seatbelt? It is such a male. It's it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. Of course, it is it's such a male fantasy moment. And the fact mm-hmm. that she does it and then later on compliments him on, hey, that was a nice move with the seatbelt thing, mm-hmm. you know, like that's it, it's. You know, this is the thing. I don't see it that way, but I, I understand if you do. I, he's making a move. It, it's you're a clumsy kid. You, I, I don't know. You'll do that. But go well, ahead. Yes. Well, well, let me. So, okay, let me ask this question: Is he yeah. making a move? That's my first question. I, I, I don't know that he's that he knows he's making a move, but the situation is presenting itself to him, and he's like taking advantage of the situation to be close to her physically. You know, I don't think Sam has a. He's not a horn dog. He's he's an yeah. awkward kid who's clearly overwhelmed by the beauty of this of this uh, uh, right woman. Yeah. When she goes to sit on his lap, is yeah. she does she think he's making a move, and is she accepting the move? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know because the fact that later on she says that was a good move with the thing that implies yeah. that she did know that she he was making a move. Do right. you think she's into him at that moment? Yes, I do think she's be- she's beginning to be into him a little bit in that moment. Yes, but also everything is elevated, isn't it? Because there's killer robots coming at you from the sky. So, like your emotions are all over the place. It it it's so again the contrast with the Bumblebee movie is so interesting because mm. because that relationship I buy of with course. the memo with the nerdy guy. And this relationship, I don't. I never actually feel much connection between the two of them for me. But she you know? kind of castrates that guy the whole time, though, dude. Like, there's the difference. Like, she is fully in control of that relationship from, from second one to the last second. Even when he thinks there might be something there at the end, she shuts it down quick, friends. And this I, is not I, that. I, I think, spoiler alert, I oh. told you I hadn't gotten to the end. <laughs> I think you I think you could have uh, guessed that. It's all right. Sorry, Mas, sorry. <laughs> no, I apologize not. profusely. But, you know, but in this, this is more like them coming together as a couple. So the beats are going to be different, I think, than what you see in Bumblebee. Sure. That being said, though, I take your point. Uh, and it could be read that way, absolutely. So I'm not going to, like we do on the Cinephiles, don't begrudge each other's point of view on this. So it's just for me, I, I get, totally get it. 
I just think if he was one of these really overtly people, you'd see it in all the women, you know, um, even Taya Leone and bad boys. Certainly there are moments where she's, cause she's gorgeous in that movie. Certainly there are moments, but then again, she's the one questioning Lowry. She's the one pushing the situation. She's the one forcing them to stop uh, lying to her and confront what's happening. Um, and I think that's the confounding thing about Michael Bay. He has these strong women in his, in his, in his films, but, uh, but he also has this proclivity to kind of linger, as you said, with the camera so that the dudes are like, whoa, you know, kind of turned on by it. So, you know what it is? Point, man. The, the, the Megan, he shoots the Megan Fox shots mm-hmm. the way he shoots the cars, the planes, the transformer. It's all, it's eye candy. It's all eye candy. That's good point. Actually, it's a really good point. Okay. All right. But he does throw in someone like Julie White, who is incredibly funny, very as, as Sam's mom. Uh, yeah. And she, she, her and, um, Oh God, if, uh, it's Kevin, Kevin Dunn, Kevin Dunn, uh, her and Kevin yeah. Dunn are just fantastic together as his parents. So funny. I'd never even heard of Julie White till I saw this movie in 2007. And I was immediately a fan of hers in anything I ever saw her in. Cause she's so naturally funny. And I think this is where this might be a point, you know, you're married to a casting director, Steve, certainly. And I think this is a point where we can talk about, well, you know what you're getting in a Michael Bay film. It's not going to be depth and complexity with these characters. So the casting directors have to do a really good job of finding those people that are going to bring some semblance of inner life. They're going to do their own homework so that they look good on screen playing these characters because they're not going to get the best direction from Michael Bay to deliver layered, nuanced characters that people can connect to and enjoy, even in a popcorn blockbuster film. So uh, I do want to give some love to, well, to before I, I, yeah, I want to give sure. love to, but just to respond, I hundred totally, totally, totally agree. Yeah. And this is why you have Owen Wilson and Steve Buscemi in Armageddon, right? Is that you cast because bec- I think he does know that actors and script are not his strong suit. Yeah. And so he brings in people that can be funny and make it their own, you know, yeah. Billy Bob yeah, Thornton, so. another one in Armageddon yeah, for exactly. sure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Janet, Janet Hershenson, uh, Jane Jenkins and Michelle Lewitt were the cast directors for this. And for voice casting, it was Ruth Lambert and Robert McGee. So we saw that. Oh, he, so let's let's move to that part of this thing, uh, Steve, as well. This movie will read these super chats in just a second. Um, <clears throat> Peter Cullen came back to reprise the role of Optimus Prime. But Frank Welker, according to the news reports, he had other projects. Also, Michael Bay felt that Frank Welker's voice wasn't heavy enough, deep enough, strong enough to embody the new design of Megatron. So it brings in Hugo Weaving. So what did you think about his decision to do this? And did you like Hugo Weaving and Peter Cullen being in the movie together? Um, so I have no, I didn't watch the cartoon that much. So I have no okay. loyalty to those voices in the past. It, you know, <laughs> the fact that the Megatron guy had other projects rather than being a multi-million dollar huge blockbuster movie, yeah. I don't really buy it, particularly because <laughs> I mean you do voiceover work. True. How how long was the gig for Hugo Weaving? <laughs> right. okay. Probably not that long. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. he's only got like 20 lines in the That's by true. the way, I yeah, I love that he gets freed from ice. The whole, the whole like frozen in ice. It's all ridiculous, but he gets freed from it. And the first thing he says is, "I am Megatron," and it's like, really? 
Why would why would you say that? <laughs> like, do you ever wake up in the morning and go, "I am John Roca"? Or no, no you I would go, not. "I am the outlaw." I no, think. Right. Only that's before a match. Only before a match. <laughs> <laughs> Never when I wake up um, in the morning. That's for sure. I think their voices are fine. I think, like you know, some of uh, the some of Optimus Prime's speeches are just kind of ridiculous, and yeah. so it's, I have more problems with what they say <laughs> than what the voices are. You know, they seem um, they seem clumsily yeah. grandiose, Steve. Optimus yeah. Prime speeches, don't you think? I really do. That's a, that's a yeah. perfect way to put it. Because because he's he's trying to say important things, but he's so overdoes it that he almost sounds like a dad. And then you're like, oh, well, how much longer is this going to go on? You know what I'm saying? And so, um, I, I I hear, but I I liked having Hugo Weaving come in. Certainly, it it adds an an, an extra element of menace to mm-hmm. the voiceover work for Megatron throughout. Um, and of course, they hit those beats of how Starscream, you disappoint me again, Starscream. You know, you add sure. those beats of that are from the uh, the uh, the original animated series for sure. All right, let's jump into some of these. Someone says I'm stretching. Where am I stretching, Scott Cameron? I think I'm pretty pretty fair about the movie. Let's see here. Uh, John Getz says I don't know what you're talking about, Roga. Directly beneath Enemy Scrotum from. Uh, uh, Revenge of the Fallen is right up there with Rosebud, and here's looking at you, kid. It's the greatest cinematic movie. Fair. <laughs> Don't listen. I, I'm not going to say these are well written films, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just not. Uh, all right. Jed Maddie says Transformers is a movie that you are not meant to find deep meaning in. True. The third one is my fave due to the best edit error for error for any Chicagoland resident. Clear Illinois highway sign when they are meant to be in DC. <laughs> oh, good one. You know what? Here, here I, I think I finally I should have said this right at the beginning, but it didn't occur okay. to me. There was a whole many decades where I watched every single kung fu movie I could find. Oh, yeah. And most of them script, character, story, terrible. Right. But if they had good fight scenes, I love them. You know, I think I I, I think this is the same thing. Is that mm-hmm. is that seeing these action sequences? They're amazing. And if that is exciting to you, then you forgive the other stuff. You know, this is what I've been trying to tell people for years since uh, I came into this sphere uh, over the and over the last six years when I've when and then really over the last few years when I really revealed my love of the Transformers movies. Everyone has the franchise that they love. People fall all over Adam Sandler films. And that's some of the stupidest dialogue, some of the worst written shit I've ever seen. But people fall all over themselves to tell you how much they love those Adam Sandler movies. Big Daddy and the Wedding Singer, notwithstanding. But everything else is pretty ridiculous. A penguin, a guy's arm being bitten off by an alligator. It's pretty dumb. Some of the Will Ferrell stuff can be quite dumb. But you forgive it because you like the personality of these comedians and what's happening, right? Some I just saw Spiral. It's, it's not good, in my opinion. But people have seen these films, saw films so many times that there have been seven of these things. And they yeah. find new and interesting ways to torture you. But the dialogue is terrible in most of those movies. The back and forth is terrible in most of those movies. And there are horror people who will sit there and try to write treatises about the actual thing that these movies are really saying about society. And it's like, it's not that deep. It's not that deep. It's torture porn. It's violent torture porn. But that's what you're into, and you like that, and that that uh, hits your bo- or checks your boxes. The more power to you. But the Transformers movies seem to get 
an unusual amount of ridicule. And I have to believe there's a certain level of frustration and jealousy because these films made four and a half billion dollars. And people uh, yeah, are mad it. that they made so much money because it reaffirms what they think is that uh, uh, people are inherently dumb and only like this kind of stuff. But I think there's way more in these movies than people give it credit for. Not that it's deep in any way, shape, or form, but I just think there's more entertainment value in these movies than people give it credit for. Well, A, deep is not a requirement for entertainment. This is entertainment. Right. You, sure, know? Very true. you know, I like deep movies, but I also like things that are entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, you know, it's come up many times. Like, I think the James Bond films are largely terrible. You want to like, talk about objectifying women. Well, cer certainly that, well, you know, it's like they are repetitive. They have, they hit the same beats. One of which is objectifying women. That is a classic in every single movie. They're going to hit that beat. It's maybe changed a little bit now um, where they're more objectifying Daniel Craig. Um, <laughs> True. But, but like they are, yeah, they're not good movies for the most part, and people yeah. go to see them. Like the we we go to movies for different reasons, and one reason you might go is to see crazy special effects and spectacle, and that certain this certainly satisfies in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not trying to make Shakespeare here. This is just fun popcorn action movies for sure. <laughs> I just pictured Michael Bay's King Lear. <laughs> Come on, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Uh, all right, D2159 says, my vivid memory is seeing the movie opening night. And that first scene where Optimus Prime rolls into camera and starts transforming, it gave me the same feeling as seeing uh, JP in 93. I couldn't believe how... Oh, Jurassic Park in 93. I couldn't believe how real it looked. Uh, uh, D. Duvall, I, I felt the same way watching it today before we did the show. Like, when he rolls up and... There's just something about the character of Optimus Prime that, like, for me goes right to the heart of who I am as a person and brings me back to being a, a young kid again, bring a, a, a preteen uh, watching him roll up and uh, roll out and transform. And the voice of Peter Cullen, there's just a majesty to Optimus prime that very few characters, no matter what franchise you're talking about ever reach. And at least thanks to Peter Cullen, um, you still have that in this movie. I really wonder how my experience would have been different if I had been a few years younger and watched the cartoon. Oh, sure. Like if I were a big fan of it, I think, I mean, I, the moment in uh, Star Trek 2009 mm. where at the, at the opening where Jim Kirk is named, I was weeping because oh, yeah. I'm a huge Star Trek fan, obviously. And that moment I'm like, it, it just became so real. And I, could totally see if I loved this show mm -hmm. and I saw Optimus Prime uh, arrive and transform that it would have had a strong effect on me, particularly yeah. hearing that voice come out of him. I bet that would have had a strong effect. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly possible for sure. Uh, all right, well, I think we've got a, another stream that has rolled here through, or a couple of them that have rolled through here. Steve, do you want to read them? Or three? Yeah, so we've got, uh, let's see. It's Doug um, Developer is the first one. Oh, yeah, Doug Developer. Uh, so he, uh, he says, I feel sorry for Megan Fox. I think she really does have natural talent, but based sexualizing her along with media overexposure, her career got derailed as audience only sees her as eye candy. I, I feel bad for her too. And and I, I had to read a little bit about mm. kind of what happened to her. It sounds like she's a fairly shy, introverted person who yeah. became just, you know, 
guys are terrible and they mm. she got a lot of attention that was really 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 gross you know yeah and like we've done it for decades you know rose mcgowan had that through the 90s certainly there jennifer love hewitt certainly had to endure that through her career as well so she's one of many who uh came at a certain time uh into our purview and were pretty sexualized and you know and some took advantage of that you know you look at the client list for Jennifer Love Hewitt, you know she plays an escort in the in in the show, so she took it to kind of reclaim the power of it. You know what I'm saying? Reclaim the image, but you do have those situations where uh, you know some women do have there's some women who come into the stratosphere here or come into the sphere don't understand how deep the sexualization really goes and how it can affect how you're perceived. If you ever seen This Is Forty, Megan Fox is fantastic in that movie. Uh, and some people think Jennifer's body is a damn good movie and she's great in that movie as well. So that's a fair point that Doug developer brings up for sure. Um, and you wonder how much agency she had in it and didn't have in it. She had a very public marriage and then just now very public breakup and has got together with another famous person. So the attention is going to be there as you keep hanging out in the fame circles. It doesn't go away, but certainly uh, the sexualization, which we as a society are kind of having a reckoning about with Britney uh, and Megan and other people um, is a, certainly something we should take a look at going forward. And I think it is changing. I think it is changing. So, Oh, I definitely, I definitely think it is. I do not think that Michael Bay could get away with having an audition where hot girls wash his car. Fuck. You no. know? Yeah. I mean, like that, that is, I, I so remember, I won't name names, but I so remember in film school that we were having it, you know, <laughs> it's like the, the army, what are you going to do when you get out conversation? We we're having the conversation <laughs> about us having our careers. And of course, at the time, we're all imagining ourselves in these big, powerful jobs. And one of the, there's a guy that um, we were talking with, and he said, I just can't wait to be like a producer and, and get to call in all these hot girls to audition for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. like, I, I, I wish I could say that that was a rare thing and it, yeah. it isn't, you know, and the, and you think about, cause this is, and this is something I always say to my students is that actors are some of the most vulnerable people in the world to yeah. abuse because, you know, 10,000 of them show up a year or however many show up in Hollywood, all desperate, all broke, yep. all young, inexperienced. And someone comes along and says, Hey, I might have a part for you. And actors will do just about anything to get it. I'm obviously I'm generalizing, but, and particularly I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of young women who show up and get parts dangled in front of them and yeah. put in situations that are really, really, really shitty. Yep. Um, and I tell all my students, that's why, you know, to be really careful with, their actors and particularly when anything becomes sexualized. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of movies where, so, uh, uh, you know, it used to be someone would show up and then the director saying, Oh no, 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 you need to take your top off. Wait, right. what? Yeah. And now you're on the set being asked to do a thing that you didn't know you were going to ask to do. And, and this is a big chance for you, you know, mm -hmm. and that's just really, you know, directors, directors have a lot of power and they need, and they need to treat use, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Yep. Directors and producers. Absolutely. A, a lot of producers are the ones who initially do that first, kind of as a how far is this person willing to go to get the part? And the directors hear about it because they're snickering over drinks or cigarettes or drugs. 
And they say, oh, she was able, I was able to get her to do this. See what you can get away with her on set. So yep. there are some really evil conversations that if we had uh, uh, mics on these people through the last few decades, we'd probably be very um, upset and very blown away by the depth of the um, ugliness of the of a male dominated entertainment uh, um, landscape. So yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't sure. know if I've ever told this story on the cinephiles. I'll try to tell it uh, fairly yeah. quickly because this is not a big power story. This is a student film story. Mm -hmm. So when I first started teaching, I was teaching editing. Um, later on, I went to teach directing, which was much more fun. And so I didn't when when I would see films as an editing instructor, mm. I hadn't seen the script or heard about the production process. I'd just seen it at the end. Now, you know, now that I teach directing, I, I kind of go through the whole process. So a film comes right. in and it's a male student who's probably in his late 20s. And I'm watching the movie. And basically the plot is young woman can't pay the rent. Landlord comes in. Landlord basically implies, hey, you know, if you hook up with me, you pay the rent. That's the movie. Right. Um, and the actress was, let's say she's 25 and the landlord was 60. And I'm watching this scene and th they start making out with each other. And then this 60 year old man puts his hands on her breasts. Whoa. And I'm watching now. I I've edited a lot of stuff and I'm a pretty good observer of what is happening with an actor, mm. you know? And it became very, very clear to me that it wasn't that the character was uncomfortable with this situation. It was that, that, actor was uncomfortable she was uncomfortable with the situation and i could see her eyes kind of flick towards camera yeah and i and, and i stopped the movie in the middle of the movie which i don't normally do and i said hold on what was the conversation you had with her and the these two actors before you shot this and he said what do you mean i said well what did you tell how did you did you rehearse it did you discuss what he was going to do was she did you did she express her he's like no no i didn't have any conversation with him mm. he just did it and I had to tell him that that was a tremendous violation yeah. that that was. And, but the, and the thing is, is that he just didn't know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, he wasn't that he was being evil. It was that he was being an idiot. And he put this person, this poor 25. And I also think, by the way, 60 year old actor who does yeah. who just feels up a young woman without a conversation. That guy's fucked up too. Agreed. Um, yeah. yeah. It's There's like, there, there needs to be like, you know, what, what exactly are we doing here? What is okay? What is not okay? How are we going to film it? You know? Yeah. It, it, yeah and that happens right. all the time. And you're right, Steve, and an actor that's 60 years should have known. Um, well, well, stop, especially for a student film. Stop. Let me talk to her. Let's work out the beats here. Blah, blah, blah. No, the horde dog wanted to touch a young woman. And yeah, uh, it's, it's uh, unfortunate and terrible. That shouldn't be happening on a set for sure but but you're right it happens uh, all the time people take advantage of these situations thinking they're the next uh kubrick or whatever and, and and lying to themselves oh it's natural it's real you know i'm, I'm creating reality filming is real emotions <coughs> give me a break um all right what's the next uh, streamlines we have brother we got a couple more i think yeah, Bucky Jet writes to spin off Bay objectifying female actresses. It irked me that in the second one, every single female extra in the college scenes <laughs> has to be smoking hot and the guys can just be okay looking. 
I mean, I haven't seen the next one, but that is a classic Hollywood yeah. standard. You know, female standards and male standards are totally different. It's true. It's true. Look at all the other nerd programmers. None of them are as hot as Rachel Taylor uh, as dudes, uh, for sure. Yeah. None of the military dudes. But, you know, Josh Hemmel, hot-looking guy. Tyrese Gibson, hot-looking guy. So on that side of things, you do have the men in those roles looking a certain way, but you're right about the other side with the college stuff. So totally take your point well, there. And, and what's the ratio? I mean, how many women are in this movie? There's uh, two, I think. Well, well three. mom. Yeah, really with white. mom. Yeah. So we have two really hot women and mom. Yeah. And we have 25, 30 guys yeah. in the movie, or 15 or 20, of which you mentioned the only hot ones. Right. You don't, you yeah. Know. Yeah. Shia's going to get upset. No respect. Uh, no disrespect. <laughs> no disrespect to Shia. Uh, what's the next one we have? I think from Parker as well. Parker wrote, sorry, I was drinking water, John. Ooh. I just was thirsty. No worries. Um, <laughs> Parker wrote, I'm the only, am I the only one who doesn't think the action in these movies is that good? I take good choreography and action serious, and the action of these movies becomes overbearing with too much confusion, repetitiveness, and unnecessary uh, explosions. Okay. I actually, I tend to agree. Mm -hmm. um, what's really interesting is if you look at the behind the scenes, they actually hired really good martial artists, put them on wires yes. to choreograph all the fight scenes. And if you watch it, it's really good. Mm -hmm. And so there are these times where these guys are, they're really cool moves, but I find the action somewhat hard to follow. I think it looks amazing, yeah. but in terms of actually seeing what's happening, I agree with Parker. It's hard to follow. Yeah, I don't disagree with Parker. You're right. I, Parker, I absolutely agree with you. As the movies go along, I don't think so much in this one, but certainly as the movies go along and you start to be like, okay, who am I cheering for? Who am I supposed to be caring about in this fight sequence with, with all these Transformers, all these Autobots and Decepticons slamming into each other? It can be overwhelming. I, I absolutely agree with you, especially Age of Extinction. Lord almighty. Uh, it can be a bit like, what the F is happening? You know, and uh, it, I, I totally get it. But I don't think that applies to this movie. I think it's very clear what he's doing here and who is the gu good guys, who are the bad guys. Um, and the ratio there is like, I think it's eight Decepticons to five Autobots. Um, and so it's clear that there's one side and then there's another side and it's one city. But when you get to Age of Extinction, it's like all over China and all over uh, other cities throughout. So, yeah, it can be a bit much. And especially last night, sweet Mary Mother of God, when they get to the end of last night, you're just like your head's on a swivel the whole time you're watching the movie. So I, I totally respect that for sure. Well, and part of that is just an aesthetic for me is like I like really, really clear action. I yes. don't I, I don't like getting overwhelmed visually as some and some people love that. It's just a thrilling yeah. experience. And me, I because I love Jackie Chan. It's like I want to see every single thing that happens and understand what was done, you know. Yeah. By the way, this might be the time for you to get into the Schmodown, Steve. They have introduced a Jackie Chan slice, a martial mm. arts movie slice. Uh so they could this could be something you could uh you could find your way into doing it at some point, maybe. We shall see. Uh, just to let you know, because I might have to study some Jackie Chan and Akira Kurosawa slice they just introduced uh, this year as well. Well, I'm ha well, by the way, so I really do want We've only done one Jackie Chan on the mm -hmm. show. I really want to do Drunken Master 2. Let's so, I'm yeah, so I'm I, I, I think it's an amazing movie, and I would be happy, happy to, to be your Jackie Chan tutor. Please, please. Yeah. I would love that. 
Um, ladies and gentlemen, there's about what 60 oh, almost 60 of y'all watching us live. Please remember to hit that like button if you haven't done it yet. Always appreciate that. If you're watching this later, and some of you do, please leave a comment down below as well as that hitting that thumbs up button. Comments and likes help raise the visibility of the show and bring more people to subscribe to the channel as we try to do more and more stuff here on the YouTube channel for the Cinephiles and for the Cinephiles universe overall. Um, all right, so where, where do you have anything that you want to bring up to talk about? When it comes, I feel like I've been asking so many questions. Do you have something that you wanted to bring up when it comes to this movie? Well, I, I teased it at the very beginning of the show. Would you like to hear some of the Jackson Morris quotes while watching <laughs> this film? Absolutely. <laughs> the, the the first one uh, was he said right when it started he went yeah this looks really detailed is this live action that's that was the beginning because I think he thought it was going to be animated yeah he said um, when when the the team starts to arrive and the big lights are coming down mm -hmm. Jacks cheered and he said here comes the team bruh <laughs> <laughs> he uses a lot of bruh he, he like said bruh. to me like. Dad, don't you want to be like a bro? And I'm like, no. <laughs> bro is the last thing I want to be. And he doesn't quite understand why I wouldn't be into that. I am um, no bro. Yeah. <laughs> he said, and then he said, you are about to meet Optimus Prime, the king of all cars. Well said. That's absolutely <laughs> um, correct. Um, let's see. And then he said, uh, I'm starting to realize that Transformers are cool. I used to think they're dumb. They're actually incredible. It, no, it, he totally saved. <laughs> he, and then he said, we got tanks coming? Holy crap. <laughs> he was really cute. I, I think, you know, this is all just a dad who enjoyed his son having fun. He said when, when uh, Megatron uh, came to life, he said, when the ice was falling off him, that was just plain satisfying. <laughs> um, uh, and also he said about Megatron, how do you smell him? You don't even have a fucking nose. <laughs> And he gave the film 10 out of 10. Oh, there you yep. go. Yep. Well, they did their job. Michael Bay and Paramount certainly did their job because it's the young ones. They want to get hooked onto their movies and keep buying the stuff. And I do. And this is a good way, a good time to maybe bring up um, the box office of this movie uh, to see how it did. Uh, it was released uh, on June 10th, 2007. Uh, it had its worldwide premiere at North Soul Tower. Uh, the film's June 27th premiere, premiere, which was a few days later, was at the Los Angeles Film Festival of all of all places. Uh, and the premiere took place at Rhode Island as well on June 28th. And it was um, attendees who paid tickets, uh, paid $75 for tickets, and it benefited four charities uh, as well throughout. Um, the there were over 200 companies that were involved in the deal for this thing, uh, which uh, is pretty phenomenal. Uh, when you look at that, uh, the the previews earned 8.8 .8 million when it came out, uh, and in its first day of general release, it grossed 27.8 million, a record for Tuesday box office gross until it was broken by The Amazing Spider-Man in 2012. Um, it opened in over 4,050 theaters in North America, grossed 70.5 million in its first weekend. It would grow, probably gross way more now if it was coming out as a first. Uh, uh, one now. Well, actually, not post COVID, but before COVID. Um, and then a hundred and fifty-five point four million dollar opening weekend. The United, the openings, the openings gross in the United States was fifty percent more than what Paramount Pictures had expected. It ended its theatrical run 
with uh, $319.2 million, making it the third highest grossing film of 2007 behind Spider-Man 3 and Shrek the Third. And by the end of everything, uh, it was the highest grossing non-sequel film at the time in 2007 with over $709 million. But it only made it to fourth place on Michael Bay's uh, highest grossing film list. So it's only wow. fourth. Um, and overall, by the time it was done, it was uh, the fifth highest grossing film of 2007 behind Pirates of the Caribbean, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Spider-Man mm. 3, and Shrek the Third. And of course, those were all sequels. So uh, pretty incredible stuff uh, for how much it did make. And people were very surprised at uh, how successful it was. I remember that being such a big deal because some critics were like, I don't understand why it's making so much money. And that has been the prevalent feeling for a lot of critics as this has gone on. Um, and in the end, I always say it wasn't a bunch of new people who pushed the two of the installments over a billion dollars. It was people who enjoyed it and wanted to come back and see it over and over and over again. And it did incredibly well overseas, especially in China and uh, South Korea. So um, in that respect, they accomplished their mission. Well, that, that you just said what I was going to say, which is that you can't underestimate China with this movie the, the or the series of movies. I just looked it up. The the Transformers series has earned one point one billion dollars in China. Yeah, you know that's that's big big money. Star uh, Wars let me would beg to make one point one billion dollars in China. Go ahead, sorry, Steve. good. It, let, let me ask you this: Is there a property that you would like to see get the Transformers treatment? Maybe with Michael Bay, if you would like to put him on it. Maybe with someone else, but like you know, like take it because this was a taking mm -hmm. a cartoon and doing a huge huge movie with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think my answer uh, would be the one that they were initially going to do. Or do you mean one that hasn't been done yet? Because, I mean, I think Michael Bay's G.I. Joe would be incredible uh, as opposed to what we did get. Um, and I, I, think never even one, saw, I never even saw those movies. I, yeah, I think one of them is actually um, uh, John or, or James. Am I wrong on this? James Wan? I forget, yeah, I think so. I think right? so. Wasn't one of them uh, like that? So I, I forget uh, uh, what they were. So I, I would like to see that. Yeah, J.I. Joe Retaliation, which came out in 2013. That was John M. Chu. I'm sorry. Crazy Rich Asians. John M. Chu did that one. Uh, and wow. Rise of Cobra was done by Stephen Summers, who had killed it on those mommy movies. Those mommy movies were good. So yeah, the, um, the first one was good. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if they were all good. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that's fair. I I like the mummy. I like the mummy returns. But then, of course, he did Van Helsing, which a lot of people didn't like, and uh, he's quickly went the way a little bit of the dodo as a director. So, um, but yeah, I mean, overall, uh, I think it would be GI Joe. But like, I how can I say this correctly? Because I don't want to get anybody offended. I think his He Man would have been really, really interesting, Steve. I mean. Rippled muscle dudes and Chitara say goodnight, man. I, I think it would be, it would, it would, I think it would make a crap ton of money. People would be so uncomfortable with it, but I think it's a, it's a pot. Wait, no, I'm thinking Thundercats. That's what I mean. Thundercats. Ah, uh, I'd love to sense. see. Sorry about that. I'd love to see his Thundercats. Yeah, I'm thinking of He Man because we got those uh, animation things earlier this, this week on He Man. Thundercats, his version of Thundercats. Whoo.
people would have some really uncomfortable feelings about these furry creatures for sure. That's what I think in my opinion. You know, you know what's funny is I, I kind of feel the same way I feel with Zack Snyder and Michael Bay is that I mm-hmm. wish you could harness all the things that they do great mm. and not allow them to have anything to do with script or story yeah. or actors and just and just combine bring in a good writer and someone to work with the actors and then go go nuts on the helicopters and explosions and you know the mm-hmm. visuals that that'll be awesome but one i would love i think would be really cool to see his visual style with not okay. necessarily his story style yeah silver surfer oh good choice yeah i think that would be very i think he would do a pretty interesting job visually with are that. you having galactus be a part of the silver surfer of or? course okay. absolutely i like this idea this is a good idea yeah um let's see here what else uh, someone said keep bay away from gi joe um and uh let's see okay cool i wanted to make sure we got to everything and do we have any more uh oh yeah no. Par- parker holler agreed with us um I agree that this that the first movie has the best action with an actual good mix of practical and special effects. Yes, agreed, agreed. Um, um, yeah, go ahead, Steve. Well, I was thinking, um, so we haven't actually announced what our next movie is going to be, but we oh, could sure. right here say what we, we haven't recorded it yet. Nope. We haven't scheduled a time to record it. I haven't watched it, <laughs> although I did read the book. Good. Oh, uh, wow. to prepare um and that next movie is as as you know every year we put out a survey and we ask what movie of 2011 because that is now opened up in the 10-year rule people would like to see us do on the cinephiles and the choice was surprising to me which is moneyball moneyball wow yeah i was surprised by it as well because i'm i don't really take our fans for sport for fans of sports movies we've only done a few sports movies on the cinephiles so i was surprised but this is of course a very very different type of sports movie in that it is more of a, a intelligent analytical statistical based movie about baseball uh and about changing the game from the stereotype of the jocks to the nerds coming in and completely altering the landscape of major league baseball um, and still altering the landscape of numerous sports. So great choice. Well, it, it's funny. Like, so I haven't watched the movie since it came out. Mm. I did just finish uh, listening to the book. Is it a sports movie? Good I don't, I don't know that it's a sports. I mean, it's about sports, yes. but I don't know. Like if, if, I mean, it's like it's it's almost like a sports movie. The way Field of Dreams is a sports movie is that right. sports are at the center of it, but we're not really all about the big game. You know, mm-hmm. there are games in it, but we're but focused he, kind of on something else. But he is trying to win. He is trying to win. So I mean, but well, you know what it is is that the sport is the um, recruiting. The sport mm. is getting the players, the deal making, the trades, the statistics. That's yeah. actually it's it's more like fantasy baseball as a sport. Right. That's that's the sport, not the actual plane of the game. Right. Right. Um, with you. um okay. Well, uh, there you go. Moneyball will be our next movie coming up soon. We'll announce it for sure. And uh, it'll be coming out next week, I'm sure, right, Steve? We're doing it for next week's 
assuming uh, you I can find a time to record it and <laughs> yeah. I'll have time to edit it. Yeah, yeah. I'm really hoping we have there was a time where we were like two or three movies ahead. Yeah. There was a time when we were six movies ahead. And now it's literally been us maybe recording on Tuesday and me having Wednesday and Thursday to get it edited and get it out. <laughs> I, I hope we get a little bit ahead again. As I said, Elizabeth, there was a time, but it all <laughs> went wrong. Yeah, well, at some point we'll figure it out and get ahead for sure. Uh, um, and you make excellent points. And, and maybe we needed to roll through some 90-minute films to get us back ahead and then start diving back into these opuses as we No, that doesn't no, that doesn't make it easier because that's what we've done all month. Because we did we did three or four in a row oh. that were single uh movie, you know, one episode for the movie. Oh, I see. So maybe we should see, dive into a longer movie, is what you're right. saying. Right. Because okay. then we can record it and then cut it in two, and I have two weeks to do it rather than then mm-hmm. I'll have to get it done in one week. So it sounds like you want to do Stroheim, a nine-hour yes. Stroheim film is what it sounds like to me. You want to do? I've never watched those. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen we'll, scenes. We'll lose our entire band. We're not, yeah. doing that. We're not doing that. But hey, Age of Extinction is three uh, is two hours and forty-five minutes. Just throwing it out there. Um, hey, I have a question. I have sure. I have a question for the people that are on uh, watching us right now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What movie, and I'm not guaranteeing that we're going to do it. Sure, sure, sure. What movie would you most like to see on Cinephiles Live? That's Ooh. what I'm kind oh, of yeah. curious about. Yeah, we've got for next, make me next month's episode. Month why, don't you, yeah. why don't you all who have like hung out with us for the majority of the, of the show start throwing out some movies that you'd like us to talk about? And these are movies that you know wouldn't make our cut to give this full Cinephiles treatment to, but could lead to some fun conversations. We did Predator last month. This month was Transformers. What would you want us to see us do next month? No, Sterling. Jo- uh, well, a soldier like story. It, it qualifies, but I think that would qualify if we wanted to do it for an overall treatment because it's of a, the It's a really good movie. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Das Boot, we're, I'm sure, will be a real cinephiles. Oh, my God. Das Boot would be fantastic. I would love to do Das Boot. Love that I haven't movie. seen it since film school. What really? Forever. Oh, yeah. Wow, wow. I know. I watched it for one of our top 10 lists with Matt a couple of years ago, I believe. Um, but that's a three hour one, right? That, that film. So no, they- that's a big, that's a big movie. Oh, my God. I think that might be the right answer. Luke, Luke, that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Luke just put up speed. We haven't done that one. That's for sure. <laughs> that, so yeah. Start sending well, them in. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Steve. Well, what I was going to ask so, so, what we've done so far on Cinephiles Live has been. Godfather 3, because we wanted to do it, but we didn't want to do the whole thing because it's not actually that good a movie. Mm -hmm. Then we did Predator just because it seemed awesome. And now we have done a movie that I like the least, you know, that you love. And I'm kind of curious, what what do the people listening, what what is it that you want to get out of Cinephiles Live? Um, Sorry, Luis, I, I, I wouldn't do Rush Hour because... For me, even though that's how most Americans met Jackie Chan, that is like so far down the list of Jackie Chan movies for me. <laughs> like, because I, I had watched every Jackie Chan movie every ever made when America was just discovering him, and so no, I would not do Rush Hour. Sorry. Uh, total. We got oh, to, ooh, War yeah. Games. War did you pull the snob card. Did you pull the film snob card a little bit? Did you I did. I it? did. I did. There's a specific you. Jackie Chan card. <laughs> I'll, I'll not have you besmirch <laughs> Jackie Chan's name in this way. Um, no, this oh, will qu- we'll do that as a real Cinephiles episode. I love that movie. So, 
Um, um, oh, that's oh, that's Brennan Marr. Brennan. So uh, uh, Brennan had me on his podcast. It was really, really fun. Good. Had a great conversation about George Lucas. Uh, it's uh, Page Turner's The They Are Not, I think is the name of the podcast. Yeah. Brennan, if I said that wrong, please correct me. But uh, really enjoyed it. And you should definitely check out his podcast. It is it's it's in all its geeky goodness. Absolutely. Brennan's a great host. I loved it being on there a few months ago. Fantastic dude and a great part of the outlaw nation he also suggested mary poppins i've never seen well no i haven't seen mary poppins since i was a kid so it could be an interesting one for us but i feel like since you won the oscar that's one that we should give the treatment down the road don't you think? it's a pretty important movie actually yeah. mary poppins yeah, i would agree um it's definitely a good one uh i've never seen the best man um um oh. L- lewis mm-hmm. i did not mean to offend <laughs> i i <laughs> What, Lewis, is that your favorite? Um, Lewis, is that your favorite Jackie Chan? Since you say you've seen a bunch of them, he says, uh, "I knew of Jack. Hey, I like Rush Hour, and I knew of Jackie Chan. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Master and Commander. Well, interesting. You should mention that. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about that, or shall we hold off on that for now? Well, I think you just kind of implied well, something. Well, we can tease <laughs> it, but we, we until we settle it, maybe we shouldn't. So uh, our, our plan, it, our plan is to do Master and Commander. But it will be a unique episode. And mm-hmm. so it will not be on Cinephiles Live. It'll be a real episode. We're still kind of working out some details on it right now. But yeah. it, these are these are my favorite books of all time. So definitely it's one I want to do the right way. This would um, be interesting. I'd love to see you guys do an episode on Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man for 2002, as it has been a blueprint to the superhero phenomenon. I think that's a great idea. And in particular, because then what we can do, too, mm-hmm. is we could do Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 and talk you know what i mean like like we could talk about the whole sam raimi series yeah good and bad yeah that could be fun um, i could be down with that for next month uh, uh revisiting the spider-man movies the sam raimi spider-man movies for sure if you want to make that decision now I- i'm on board with that uh that's, a, that's an interesting one Let, let's okay. uh I, i'd say that's very high on the list um oh and 54 godzilla and king kong those are interesting 33 king kong those are interesting these are great suggestions guys yeah yeah. um they really oh okay justin tremors tremors might need the full cinephile treatment yeah i think i give that one the full cinephile treatment i love that movie i haven't watched it in a long time probably 10 years yeah i think i i think that movie karen and i my wife and i quote that to each other all the time uh let's see uh yeah lost highway i don't i'm i'm good never doing <laughs> some of those david lynch movies i don't know if i'll ever put myself i can't remember it. if i even saw lost highway yeah, yeah david lynch is he's not my he's not my guy exactly yeah yeah i've appreciated his films sometimes but yeah it's like saying good work good work uh <laughs> cinema study says the proposition the proposition is fantastic if i can if i, I if if down the road I can convince Steve to watch it, I think this would be a fun one for us to do in the cinephiles. It's a fantastic Aussie Western with Guy Pierce, um, Emily Watson, uh, Ray Winstone, and the and Nick Cave does the soundtrack of the movie. So it's a fantastic one. Oh, Bullet, dude. Bullet. Mm, yeah, Bullet. Does. That's an interesting one. Bullet does. All right. Well, we'll take these under consideration for sure, Steve, I think, and make our decision, but these are some great, great suggestions. Oh, man. That should get a full Cinephiles treatment as well. Battle Royale. That'd be a hell of a I have challenge. never watched it. I've never watched it. I know what it is. I've seen I've seen clips from it. Alright. 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 The original Mad Max, that could be fun. 
So the someone put up once upon a time in the West. So yeah. we have done Sergio Leone. That is, mm-hmm. oh, you know what just occurred to me? Uh-oh. This Uh-oh. is just, just thinking out loud on camera. We have not locked down what the first month of two, 2022 will be. Jesus, are we already almost there? Oh, my I God. I mean, no, no. it's it's We're mid-year, but. Still, it's crazy to think that we're mid-year. Okay. Um, uh, you want to do Leone? I, I'm not. I'm not making any firm commitments yeah. on camera with you at this moment. There was another one I think that came up last time. Do you remember what the other one suggestion to do? No. Was it Hitchcock? It was Lord of the Rings. Oh. <laughs> we so we that. don't know what we it's going to be. How about Cinnabon's yeah. live for Lord of the Rings? I'll, I'll accept that. No, I'm just no, I no. <laughs> We got That needs that needs a lot of. I'm scared of doing Lord of the Rings because it's just so much to take on. Uh, um, Vincent wants to know what our next Scorsese movie is. Well, we haven't settled that just yet. I'm sure it will. I, I know the one we've talked about the most. Yes, 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 yes. Um, which is which is one that you probably can all guess. You know, we've done Taxi Driver and Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. The one of his other biggest is one we've literally talked about for years. I can't. Uh, John seems to be. I don't know if he's having a seizure or something. I don't know if that has anything to do with the movie. Maybe. It, maybe it does. If we Why? put you in black and white and then just you know got you really sweaty and bloody, then I think it would really just shoot me from a long distance. In fuzzy. <laughs> um, all right. These are great suggestions, uh, and we'll announce it uh, coming up for soon uh, for, uh, for sure. Because uh, we can always look back on the chat uh, on YouTube and maybe pick something out from what you all have suggested. Uh, but let's wrap it up here, Steve. We should get yep. on with our nights. It's Sunday night. Thank you all so much for joining us live. We really appreciate it madly. And thank you all so much for being patrons uh, of the of the Cinephiles. Uh, for those of you who are patrons of the Cinephiles, we appreciate it so very much. Thanks for your Streamlabs and your Super Chats tonight. Just want to peek and make sure we haven't missed anyone's uh, Streamlab. But Wiley Todd, come, Wiley, what's up, my brother? It's been a long time. He says, any chance we can get a When Harry Met Sally re-episode? Steve? So I, I we're going to put it. It will definitely be on the list for the survey next time. It's mm-hmm. definitely what I want to do. It's not the re-episode or the redo that we're doing this year. Um, right. Which which is, I'm so looking. We're going to do that soon. And I'm so excited about it. Absolutely. That, um, but yeah, I think I think that's one that definitely could benefit from a deeper dive. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much, uh, Wiley, for the contribution. Great to see you, brother. Hope everything's going well uh, and your studies are going well as well, man. Sending you much love. Uh, come on back to the nation when you're ready, my friend. I like this idea of Roger Rabbit, and maybe we ask Michael Vogel yeah. to join us for Cinephiles Live. Or do we? Do, but I see. I think it needs the whole treatment. You I think okay. that movie's so good. It's right. so good. Um, but but by the way, words. I was going to mention to you. Not, yeah. You know, it's been a long time since Vogel's been on. It's been over a year then <laughs> since he's been on the show. <laughs> yes. So I think we need to get him back. All right. Sounds good. Let's make plans. Put that down in the calendar. Put it down. We'll write it down. Uh, all right, Steve. Uh, where let's uh, let's end the show here. Thank you all so much for joining us. As we said, appreciate. All the Streamlabs and the Super Chats. Uh, Steve, please the uh, uh, please uh, tell everybody where they can find you and, and, and the show and our all the things we do for the Cinephones. 
Um, well, you can find me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. The Cinephiles is right up there is Cine underscore files on Twitter. It's the Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. Uh, we just put out, what was our movie that we put out last week? Now I can't even remember. Wow. <laughs> it wasn't, oh my it God. You're putting me on the spot. Uh, was it Punch Truck Love? I thought it no, was Punch Truck Love. Okay. No, I think there was something since then. A being there. I don't know. Being there. Being, being there. Yeah, we yeah, just yeah. put out being there. Boy, man, it shows where our brains are that neither <laughs> you or I can remember the last episode. Uh, as we said, Moneyball is coming up next. And if you are a Star Trek fan and want to listen to my other show with Scott Mann's Enterprise Incidents, uh, you could do that. We just put out one of my top two or three favorite Star Trek episodes of all time, wow. which is Balance of Terror. And coming up in a in about a month, we will have a very, very special visit from the outlaw on Enterprise Incidents for the episode two-part episodes, The Menagerie. Oh, love The Menagerie. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and that's awesome. And yes, everyone, Enterprise Incidents, go download it. Go subscribe to it there, wherever you download podcasts for sure. You know, Scott Mitz has got a lot to say <laughs> about Star Trek. Uh, uh, with Steve. So yeah, great stuff. And certainly a lot of members of the Outlaw Nation telling me how much they're enjoying that podcast. So kudos to both of you all for sure. As for me, you can find me at the Roka says on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, all the stuff I do over there on the Outlaw Nation channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says we're at 16. We're almost close. We're close to 17,000 subscribers. Come and be a part of everything we do over there. The Geek Buddies, the Impolite Truths, Game Time, all the reviews, trailer reactions, all happening over there. Come and be a part of it. And there'll be some new content coming as well uh, that I've been kicking around for quite some time and some changes that'll be happening. And we've got a new show there with Wendy called John and Wendy Explain the World. Every Friday, we talk about the big news stories of the week in the world of entertainment and also talk about the big stuff going on in social media, uh, K-pop stuff, video game stuff, come in to talk about all of it and then recommend stuff for you to be watching and also review stuff and bring in guest reviewers to talk about whatever's just come out and their thoughts on it. So just kicking it all around, ladies and gentlemen. Come and have fun there. And of course, the Geek Buddies and the Top 10 as well and this show so please it's a, it's a lot of fun and i'm a busy man and i love it so all right let's get us out of here thank you all so much for joining us and uh, uh for steve morris i am john roca this has been the cinephiles live and we'll talk to you next time next month rather for another live episode of the show peace until then